Welcome to Composer Quest. I'm Charlie McCarran. I'm a composer in Minneapolis. And I've started this podcast to get a glimpse inside the minds of composers and songwriters. You can find out more about the podcast and these artists at charliemccarran.com. That's charlie, M-C-C-A-R-R-O-N.com. And you can also contact me there if you have any questions or suggestions. On this episode, I get to talk with Peter Fry, an exceptional guitarist who has recently gotten into songwriting. His new release, under the name Kaziak, called See the Forest, See the Trees, is a total departure from his past album. This new record is much more personal to Peter, and he talks about why he went in this direction. That song is my insides, you know? Like, I don't know how else to say it. And that's the advice that I would give, is just start writing down things that feel like they mean something to you. He also shares with us some things he learned from touring and trying to promote his own music. When you're at that level where you're not making any money, you're definitely not making anybody else any money. So the only person that's going to sort of believe in your music at that point is you. Peter also describes what it's like soloing and what his philosophies are on making melodies. More isn't better, necessarily. It's not how many notes can I cram in. It's more about trying to be just original. And finally, we'll get to hear two original songs performed live by Peter. So now, on to my talk with Peter Fry of Kaziak. We have Peter Fry in the studio here. Hey, Charlie. Peter is, I have to say... Probably the best guitarist I know. I'm he... blushing. <laughs> it's true, though. I met Peter in college at St. John's and was always impressed by his guitar skills. Not just that he was able to just whip crazy solos out, but more... I, I always notice that you have a real awesome, nuanced guitar style. We're talking a little bit about your jazz influence. When did you start getting into that? Sure. So I, I did a lot of music as a kid, but I didn't start playing guitar seriously until I saw jazz musicians play. I, I was probably a sophomore in high school. I recall feeling like my brain had already made sense of music and theory, and I was just sort of missing the rudimentary skills that you know be it upstrokes and downstrokes with your right hand or just the the perfection of placement between the four fingers in your left hand well one thing i'm always curious about with yeah, yeah jazz musicians and people who can actually improvise really fast when you're thinking of music do you feel like time kind of slows down as you're doing these solos How do you develop that speed of sure. thinking of? There's a lot that you have to sort of front load on the technical end. You know, like if it's less than immediate that your fingers can find the shape that the chord chart is asking you to find, how would you ever find eight of those in, in four bars? You know, it just wouldn't happen. So I think that I was really, really committed to that and just really discovering how chord shapes work. And then with that, of course, came the whole melodic element. 
you almost can't teach that part, you know, they say, because you, you can teach your fingers to move in, in a certain shape at a certain rhythm, but to really flow well and to sort of, as they say, sing over the chords, I think that just comes from experience. And the amount of settings that I've been able to play guitar in is extremely influential to that. This is the nuance you're talking about. It's it's I sort of can weave, it's like, what's he he's playing with the jazz band but it sounds like he's making that's a country lick or you know that's a that's just ambient music behind a jazz band or whatever the sort of combination is i, I like that i like doing that you know i wish there was more of it in general mm-hmm. that sort of aspiration as, as a lead guitarist was it wasn't short-lived i just I quickly realized that there was a lot more to it than that. In addition to seeing jazz musicians early on, I saw some exceptionally talented young folks that were only a couple years older than I was sort of making really, really beautiful ambient sounds with their guitar and not, I had no idea what it was at first. And it was just figuring out what you could do with an instrument and how far you could take it. You know, more isn't better necessarily. It's not how many notes can I cram in. It's more about trying to be it's just original every time that I approach something, be it a project, be it a, a band, be it as something as kind of granular as a solo. Most of the music that I love and listen to now, I acquired from my father, actually. And I didn't like it when he gave it to me, even 10 years ago, and I loved music. Like who are Oh, I would say John Prine, in, almost exclusively. I, had, I grew up with those folk songs, and I wasn't into writing. I wasn't really into like the literary side of music. So I, I listened, but I didn't sort of see the greatness in that at the time. And even before I spent a good amount of time with John Prine, I went through a phase where I was really interested in Bob Dylan. When I got into folk music, I never thought, and I never for once believed that the songs I was writing then would be songs that I would still be playing a year later. It didn't even really cross my mind to record those songs. I just knew that I needed to develop my voice and that I needed to sort of try as many things as I could in that folk setting. I I draw so much inspiration from my friends, actually, more so than I do from the greats. I mean, I love John Prine and Bob Dylan, but I've learned more from, you know, my good friend Joe Maylander about folk music. He taught me how to strum a guitar. You know, I, I, I played lead guitar for four years before that and didn't know how to strum an acoustic. We had a quartet of high energy bluegrass musicians that we sort of rockified. Here's a song we wrote when we were down in Georgia. Robert E. Lee, the military, with a rifle on his knees, singing songs of Dixie to the Confederacy down in the Mississippi. And now they're baptizing me to Christianity. I got the blues, Mississippi mud on my blue suede shoes. I learn more from people that I can sit in a room with. But those circles of people, that they don't live in the room next door anymore. It's a much more independent pursuit at the moment. 
there was a time even after college for for two years i had the luxury of playing with a trio that could play and would play for an average of three hours a day all week long that was my dream then there were bands in my life that i ended to to make that happen you know numerous opportunities that i had with music to sort of make that happen well what kind of because you guys toured around for quite a while what kind of stuff did you learn when you're on that adventure because you you kind of dropped a lot of stuff to go on that and went all in yeah we did i we we went all in as you would say in in 2010 I, i felt like we were really justified in doing it to be honest we had it was kind of our one chance as you pump your energy and your time into projects i think you do reach that point where you do have that opportunity if you sort of put enough into it you'll you'll get your chance and that was our chance i call it either three records or about four hours of music that we wrote over the course of 18 months and uh we had an opportunity to just tour that in the midwest and you know we spent 10 months traveling and we learned a ton i mean we learned a ton about the music business we learned a lot of things not to do in the music business such as uh well, I, I would never do that again, exactly like that, you know? I n- would never regret what we did. Of course, there's things we would do differently. Um, we sort of found out quickly where people were listening and where people weren't listening. I think anywhere west of Nebraska, <laughs> people were, were listening. And mm-hmm. again, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday night shows in, in Colorado, there were, there were people there listening, enjoying, buying records. It was it was an interesting change from the 80 plus shows we played this side of Nebraska, where there just wasn't there's not really a built in scene in most of the towns that we were going to. We weren't some huge touring band, but um, just kind of making it up as we went along. You'd book a show, you'd get as much kind of media coverage as you could in the area. You'd send posters, you'd send flyers. That's what we did all day was sort of micromanage that, and we were always you know six to eight weeks ahead of ourselves, and it, it was exhausting. It's a lifestyle that unless you're being driven around and or flown around and are seeing a really good number of folks enjoying your music at each of the shows you're playing that were willing to pay a decent ticket price to be there, it just it it's gonna be really, really difficult. Yeah. And um it, it didn't crash and burn. It's just do you wanna spend the next ten years, uh, or even five years sleeping on couches and booking shows and barely covering costs. And that that's just a lifestyle decision, you know? And to be honest, I was willing to do that. I, I would have kept doing what we were doing because I think that what would take a lot of groups five years could have taken us two, for example. And I'm just, I'm attracted to that, that maybe it's risk-taking. Um, I think it's rather calculated, actually. I think you sort of go where you're fed with your music and if there were certain markets that were calling to us and whatnot that's where we would have developed more heavily and sort of you know changed our plan accordingly yeah um but in general i think it put a huge personal strain on all the members involved i mean with how exhausting that up and down is you're either on or you're off you're either on the road or not when you're not on the road you're planning to get back on the road did you even have time to write new stuff in the time off we weren't writing as much we just it wasn't a sort of creative or sustainable creative lifestyle, I guess. And 
again, I feel at the moment, even working a job and at least I have the hours between 7 p.m. and midnight to to go home and just make new music now and at least be original. In July, I had recorded actually with some of the folks that influenced me greatly in high school, uh, drummer Brett Bullion, who uh, produced and, and made music then that, that still is influential to me today. It, it was awesome being able to bring music to him because again, in high school, our age difference prevented us from working together. You know, we were at, at much different levels then and we're at different levels still, but he was willing to record the music that I've been making recently. I'm trying to make the most authentic music that I can at this point. And when we were 18 years old, you know, rockabilly country was a lot of fun to do. And we we were clearly having a good time, you know? It's just, that's not the circle that surrounds me right now, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, even from the first Kaziak album with the, your trio, mm -hmm. just like total shift from in your new album. In a, and I like both of them, but this does definitely feel more authentic. Sure, and it, it's it's really intentional. You know, I think even that first Kaziak record, we that wasn't a sound we sort of decided upon. It's just sort of the best capture of the music we were making in you know two thousand nine, two thousand eight, and two thousand nine when we moved to Austin. And uh, again, with different influences, we were trying to sort of be a live festival going band. And that's exactly what that record is doing. I mean, it's it's fun, family friendly, you know, kind of everybody's at the fore. There's a guitar solo here. There's a bass solo here. There's We were sort of covering our basses. There's three singers. And so everyone kind of gets a chance to sing lead. There's songs where we all harmonize with each other. See the Forest, See the Trees was the first kind of re-immersion that I had in making music after the first Carnation of Kaziak stopped touring. And I, I took about six months uh, off entirely. I wasn't actively making or working towards any kind of project. And I knew that I had to process the past several years and the loss of, of sort of losing my closest musician friends of all time, at least the fact that I wasn't making music on a day-to-day -day basis with them anymore. And uh, I knew that that's what I would process with the next music I would make. I mean, I've always sort of expressed myself through music. I just hadn't had a loss like that, really. 
a divorce is a little it's a little strong of a word um, but that's essentially what happens when you're tied up with one another with money and with companies and and touring and all your time and, and your energy um, you sort of split and that it's just of differences of opinion and it's not yelling and screaming it's not court you know it, it's a much milder case than that we're lucky there's a folktale uh, it's the tar baby folktale that's a that's a remus story it exists in in many different cultures but it's sort of about the fox who is tired of the rabbit coming into his his garden and so he creates a baby out of tar right and, and as the rabbit approaches the garden the next time he's lured in and he's trying to reach out to it and touch it and before he knows he gets stuck to the tar and he hits it and his other hand gets stuck and he's trying to escape and the harder he tries to escape the more sort of wrapped up in this in this tar baby he becomes i sort of call that the impossible problem and i i, I don't mean it's no sort of life isn't impossible that's not what that says at all it's just sort of let it go it's a sort of attempt to find peace in memories that really aren't that peaceful Hey, 
Cast off whatever your thrashing can't anymore. Don't let me forget what I'm searching for. The ground is fertile now. If you don't plant a seed, it'll never grow. How can I stop what I can control? I need to learn to let it go. That was really nice. Oh, thanks. And that, that was Tar Baby by Peter Fry. What advice would you have for songwriters? Things you've learned? I, I think just the advice I'd give is, like, a song like that, it couldn't be more mushy. That song is my insides, you know? Like, I don't know how else to say it. The reason that it works for me is because those are words that I sort of need that cure my... It's I mean, Depression is a too strong of a word, you know? But it, 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 it sort of is it's the answer to the tar baby riddle in, in song. Um, you know, don't, don't let me forget what I'm searching for, I think is probably what, what I take away from that. Um, also just the piece of the chorus, like just letting it go. I need to learn to let it go. There's a sort of paradox that goes along with the perfectionism with the sort of like you know like for so long there was way less feeling and emotion in the music that i made than is in this song again i expressed myself through guitar i expressed myself through you know musical compositions but this is i think my best work yet of of expressing myself through lyrics yeah just because it means something and that's what i think is important and that's the advice that i would give is just start writing down things that feel like they mean something to you and even if they aren't you know i mean fragments of this song don't sound good alone it just works because they're all side by side and they support kind of that larger message. When you're writing songs, do you have an idea fully formed of where you want the song to go and then fill in? Or do you kind of wander when you're coming up with ideas? Or? I'm, I'm very conscious of, of song form and I'm really interested in at least attempting to be original with that. So you'll notice that no structure of those tunes sounds or is like any other structure on the record. And I don't need them to be different. I was just sort of attempting to display some, some sort of different combinations of things that I can do. I, I like that about it. I mean, you go from a song with lyrics that are like the whole page long. And then um, one of the best songs I think is Rabbiting Fox. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's just, what, four lines mm -hmm. in that song that get repeated. Maybe you could talk about that song a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. I, I'm, I, I'm attracted to that song. I, I think that it was the perfect start to the B side of the record. I mean, kind of thinking of one through three as the A side and four, five, and six as the B side. It just there's only two stanzas. There's blood in the river. That don't make it a river of blood. Uh, like a bird on a wire, don't mean there was a flood. I wrote this song classically i wanted it to be fugish and you know a lot of songs do that where they sort of 
the guitar starts and it, it plays its theme and then the drums enter and the guitar plays its theme again and then the whole song happens and it goes out and it's just the guitar again or something and I knew what I wanted at the end. I knew I wanted all the parts to be together and I wanted them to sort of link up. And I, I knew at the beginning, I wanted all the parts that were just, that were together at the end to sort of be voiced one by one. I really like that effect because oh, sure. I think that guitar riff um, is actually the best hook on the album. I like that you don't play it right away. You kind of build up with just the bare minimum. Yeah, that, that mysterious section at the, that, this, that the track starts with, it, it really sort of keeps you guessing. And the, the lyrics were just kind of, they inspired the vibe of the tune, definitely. It's just, there's that old Radiohead video of Tom York's head in a fishbowl and the water's rising. And then he's, he holds his breath for, it must be 90 seconds. And then the water goes down and he lets out his, it's just so much suspense, you know? Yeah. And that's, I, I think of that with, with this track. I think of a really urban setting by the river, for example, you know, that's like this odd push of like a, a bird that's on at the top of a telephone pole who can't see any grass to like find a worm in. And then the flood comes and knocks the pole over and it's just this kind of claustrophobic sort of feel. glad you pointed out the structure of how you basically took everything apart sure because i actually didn't even think of the song that way mm -hmm. it kind of flowed smoothly yep I, I probably made an arrangement of it by accident and then ended up liking it or something you know as i'll do i'll record a lot of parts and then and and mix and put them together in different ways I'd like to hear a little bit about PR advice you have for people who are trying to get their music out there. I mean, I've, I know you've yeah. studied up on that kind of stuff. Totally. I think it just, it takes a lot of sort of research and a lot of conversation to sort of find people you trust. And I think it also takes a lot of trial and error. So again, you ask of experiences and things that we learned from touring. Well, um, I'm one thing that I learned that I was really grateful for was that we were willing to take it so far on our own because I think you wouldn't get half as far if you try to depend on other people to do it. Because when you're at that level where you're not making any money, you're definitely not making anybody else any money. So the only person that's going to sort of believe in your music at that point is you. 
that's a huge lesson. It's like you just, you really, you know, to quote Justin Bieber, never give up. I, I believe in that fully, <laughs> but it'll, it'll also only go as far as you take it. I'm in the midst of, of actually releasing this record nationally with a PR agency called Team Claremont, and they're out of Athens, Georgia, and they represent indie musicians all over the States. And, um, you know, I'm one of, I, I think, a handful of folks that they'll represent in the spring. And so um, it's no label, but what it, it does do is sort of, it gets my music out in the world into tons of places where I couldn't ordinarily put it. So um, you, you hope that, first of all, that that company does what they say they're going to do. And second of all, that people kind of listen and notice. I would I would love that. I don't expect to be making a living from my music anytime soon, at least from the Kaziak music, but I'd rather be sort of not making a living from it and being original by making it than being unoriginal and making a living, I guess. Well, good luck to you, Peter. Thanks for coming into my bedroom studio here. Thanks, Charizard. Charizard, it's been it's been a pleasure. Well, that wraps up our conversation. For more of Peter Fry's music, you can go to kaziak.com, spelled K-A-Z-Y-A-K. I'll leave you with a new song Peter performed live. This is a song called Sundial that I am in the middle of writing and it's not very long it's just it's just a start of something new
watch the dark.